the Lord's good. I want you to know he's good. And I just really just sense that if it, if you're struggling with that sense of foreboding, it used to attack me every now and then. I would, I would think, wow, things have been going too good for too long. Something bad has to happen. Let me tell you this. That's nowhere in the Bible where it says, hey, things have been too good for you. I got to make something bad happen in your life. And so I just said, you know what? I'm not going to receive that when that begins to hit me. I'm just going to say, no, I'm believing for hope and joy and peace in the Lord, not for foreboding and not for dread. You know, there's nowhere in the Bible where it says that we should live in foreboding or dread. We should live in the hope and peace and joy of the Lord. So praise the Lord for that. Uh, got some announcements for us. Vacation Bible School is next, this coming, this coming Saturday is Vacation Bible School. So if you've not signed up to help or you have not uh, signed up your kids, today's the last day to do that. Get that done. They're prepared and ready to roll. It's going to be a great day. Uh, it's a one-day uh, Vacation Bible School. I think registration starts at 8 a.m. It ends at like 2 or 2.30. And so make sure you're ready for that. And we have another assignment for you. Those who are participating in Vacation Bible School, parents, volunteers, and kids are going to have a dinner next Sunday. Now, let me explain this. I'm not participating in it. I'm not a kid that's in it. So this isn't for me. The only thing that I get to do is ask Darlene to do some work to make this happen. Okay. So we're going to prepare food for that. And again, you say, oh, great. We're going to have a pitching. No. Well, yes, you are going to have a pitching if you are a volunteer or a kid in vacation Bible school. Is that clear? Okay. So now you may say, well, then I don't want to make anything for it. Well, hey, we're going to talk today about being good and being kind. So make some food, bring it in next Sunday and take it to the kitchen. And they will use that for a wonderful time of fellowship for those who had uh, their Saturday vacation Bible school. Does that make sense to everyone? Okay. Thank you. Uh, baptism is next week. If you've not been water baptized, get water baptized. You say, well, I've been thinking about it. Well, quit thinking about it. Just, just do it. Be water baptized. We believe for some real works of God in our hearts when we go through the waters of baptism. So if you have not been water baptized, get water baptized. And we have one person that's going to be water baptized. And uh, can you throw up my temporary uh, email if it's still back there? I think we're about to get my real one fixed, but this one, if you have not been water baptized, please, it's down there at the bottom, Tracy Cross or crsrds at gmail.com. And tell me, I want to be water baptized, and I'll get you all the information for being water baptized. I also want to encourage you to be in our Sunday school class. It starts at 9 o'clock. We don't have a kids' ministry going on, so I get it if you got a bunch of children that that won't work for you, but it will work for many of you, and I encourage you to be there. I saw a couple new faces in there. I go in just long enough to disturb them and then go to the prayer room, but I did see some new folks there, so I want to encourage you to come out and force. You'll enjoy going through the scriptures and Matthew, and thank you, Gary, for all your hard work making that happen. So blessings to you. Now let's see. I think that I think we're about ready to close in prayer now. Uh, let's see if I got everything done. We got it. So before we go to the Word of God, let's just pause again for prayer. Hmm because I want us to have hearing ears and seeing eyes and hearts that want to activate the Word of God. So, Lord, we ask, teach us, Holy Spirit. May we hear your voice clearly. May you give us insights on what we should do. And then, Lord, give us the ability and the desire and the power to carry out those desires. We ask, Holy Spirit, that the Word get planted in us deep. We serve notice to the enemy that 
He's not allowed to steal this word. We're going to guard and protect it. We're going to keep it. We're going to walk in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the responsibility is for those who are hearing. The Bible, Jesus often said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. There's a responsibility for us to hear the word, keep the word, put the word of God in action. So we're going to look at a couple attributes today. And these attributes are little behaviors that we as believers are very powerful in our lives, but they're not ones that readily come to the surface if we're just living in the flesh. I say, what do you mean by living in the flesh? When the Bible talks about living in the flesh, it talks about our are human desires that aren't being led by the Holy Spirit. So your flesh and my flesh wants to do whatever it wants to do whenever it wants to do it. That's just the way the flesh is. So the flesh wants to overeat, it wants to oversleep, it wants to underwork, it wants to overplay, it, it wants to be immoral, it wants to do whatever. Your flesh just wants to do whatever. So God said the flesh and the Spirit are at odds with each other. Guess what? The Holy Spirit isn't into all those sinful things. And so the Holy Spirit, has, and if you're a believer, your born-again spirit, your eternal spirit got born again. It got saved. It got made new. Second Corinthians chapter 5, if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. The righteousness of God has been planted in us. And so the Bible says that the spirit desires what's contrary to the flesh, and the flesh desires what's contrary to the spirit. I do believe our flesh can be trained and equipped as we, as we submit to the Holy Spirit. But these attributes we're going to look at today are really only available by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I mean, they're available in a generic way, but not in the deep way we want to hit with the power of the Holy Spirit. So we need the goodness of the Holy Spirit in our lives to be lived out of us, and we need to cooperate with the Holy Spirit to have these two attributes in our lives. So today we're going to talk about the power of goodness and kindness. The power of goodness and kindness. Now, that is kindness and goodness to the ultimate level. I mean, if you're willing to share your ice cream, then you know that boy has got the Holy Ghost there as he shares that ice cream. The power of goodness and kindness. Now, you may say, what's so hard about being good or kind? That should be pretty easy. I mean, it's just basically behaving kindly. But you know what? Everything seems to be more difficult than you think. There's a, and don't put this slide up yet, but there's a, uh, a church that wanted to convey kind of its vision and mission for the community. There was a church that said, you know what? I want, I want everyone to know what our heart is for our, the people around us. And so they create, you, you say to yourself, how hard can that be? How hard can it be to post something, you know, on your church billboard that shows where your heart is going? Well, apparently it can be pretty hard. So let's take a look at this slide here. Um, here is the church sign. We love hurting people. Okay, well, most, most of us, most of us know what their heart was. I mean, their heart was, if you're hurting, we love you, we want to help you. But it just didn't translate properly, and we love hurting people. So uh, the vision and mission of our church is not hurting people. It is to be good and to be kind, to be good and to be kind. So we got to have the help of the Holy Spirit. As we endeavor to be good and as we endeavor to be kind, we need God. When I was looking through the Beatitudes, Sermon on the Mount, several months ago, I, I discovered some things that I just didn't have really pause long enough to think about. We, we know that keeping the law is hard. We know that keeping the rules are hard. There's something about us that we don't like keeping rules. Sometimes we're even fine with keeping the rule until we find out it is a rule, then we just have to rebel against the rule. So 
That's just kind of human nature. That's the way the flesh operates, but not the way the Holy Spirit operates. And so when the, when the church was first born, you remember the day of Pentecost and Peter kicks open the door and he preaches the message and says 3,000 dedicated righteous Jewish men gave their lives to Jesus. 3,000. That's a pretty good debut sermon, you know, to preach. 3,000 come to know the Lord. So these Jews are coming in. These Jewish people are coming into the kingdom in, in hundreds and thousands. And then all of a sudden, something that just mesmerizes the Jewish people because it's so Jewish-oriented. The disciples were Jewish. Everything was Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. And all of a sudden, they have this dilemma. God's pouring out his spirit on the Gentiles, non-Jewish people, which is what we are. We're Gentiles. God's pouring out the spirit on on these Gentiles, and they're going, what do we do with these people? We don't know what to do with these people. And so I said, maybe we should teach them the Jewish law. Maybe we should teach them. We've all been steeped in and taught in it. So they're having a council meeting, and Peter finally stands up and says, time out, guys. Why would we want to put a burden or a yoke on the Gentile people that neither we, in other words, those of us in this room, nor our forefathers, our ancestors could bear? In other words, we can't do it. Why in the world would we want to go to the Gentiles? We have a beautiful gift for you. We're going to give you 633 Jewish laws to obey. None of us do it well anyway. I'm sure they've made many of them, but none of us do it well. No one we know ever did it well. But we're going to give this gift to you, obeying the law. And so they said, no, we should not do that to the Jewish people. So we see just, I mean, being good and kind is kind of a, uh, a, a rural way we want to live, but we find out that following rules are really hard. So then we say, praise God, Jesus came to liberate us from all this, which he did, but we got to drill through some stuff to find out how he liberated us because on the Sermon on the Mount and on the Beatitudes, I think it's Matthew 5, where you can read all that, Jesus is teaching, but he goes past the actions and starts dealing with our hearts. Now that's where we get in trouble. So you read through the Matthew 5 and you'll see things where he said, you've heard it said. Don't commit adultery. Okay? Now, do we all know that Jesus was against that? He said, don't commit adultery. But I say unto you, if you've looked at someone to lust after them, you've already committed adultery in your heart. You know, the crowd had to go, oh, okay. I mean, I was feeling a little smug there because I hadn't actually committed the act of adultery, but now he's telling me, you cannot even have lusted after someone. Huh. They said, you've heard it said, that you shouldn't murder. But I say this, if you've hated someone, you've committed murder in your heart. Yeah, it's like, oh no. And then he says, oh, you've, you've heard it said, love your neighbor. Well, I say this, love your enemy, not just your neighbor. And so then, because he goes on to say even pagans and, and unrighteous people do that. And so then Jesus drills down and he makes keeping the law more impossibler, okay? I don't think that's a word. Uh, it was where I grew up, but it's not. I know it's not a real one. He makes it so impossible that we go, oh my goodness, if we had the fleeting silliness believing we could keep the actions of the law, we now know that our hearts are almost unmanageable. I, I'm going to guess that most of us in this room, at least I pray, most of us in this room are not going to murder anyone in our lifetime. But I also guess that most of us in this room will not make it out of this world without having hated someone, even if it was just for a moment. Mm. 
So Jesus is saying, we got to drill deeper. And at first we thought, we thought the law was hard. Now he's making it so hard. Why did he do that? It's my belief he did that so that we would realize we are at the mercy of him for salvation and for eternal life. Because we, even if we thought we might be able to keep the actions of the law, we realize we cannot manage the inner desires of our heart. And only God can do that. And so we need Jesus for salvation. We throw ourselves on his mercy. And we need the goodness of the Holy Spirit operating in our lives so we can actually live this life that God calls us to live. And we can't do it in our own efforts, in our own energies. So Jesus doesn't make it easier. He makes it harder. But then he gives himself as the remedy for our problem. Because we look and say, how am I going to do this? Remember Paul cries out in Romans. He said, oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And good news, the next verse, he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our deliverer. He's the one who sets us free. But these two attributes, goodness and kindness, why are they so important to a believer? Well, let's look at Luke 6. Luke 6 is kind of a mini version of of the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. Luke 6, 36, Jesus is speaking, love your enemies. And there's an exclamation point. Every time I talk about this, I say this, because I want to drill this home. This set of verses we are going to read are beautiful and lovely, and everyone loves the heart of Jesus when he teaches this. They're beautiful and lovely until you have an enemy. Then it's like, oh, I hate these verses. But if you if all's well, you don't have an enemy, you go, oh, this is so sweet and so good and so kind, and it is until we have to apply it. So love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. They know it says, do good. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward in heaven will be very great. Rewards are meant to motivate us to get past the moment and look forward to something in the future. And God's not opposed to those. You know, we'd all like to say, well, I do everything just because you know, I have such a pure heart. That'd be wonderful. But God knows how we're wired up and he gives you motivations. He gives you rewards. So he said, your reward in heaven won't just be great. It'll be very great. And you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. For he is, what's the next word? He is kind to those who are what? Unthankful and wicked. Wow. See, people say that God's mad and he's always out to get people and he wants to kill people and he wants to hurt people and he wants to judge people. But really, the more I get to know God, I realize that's not true. And we should really rejoice in that, except the thing that frustrates me and believers alike is not that he might be able to get somebody because he's not. What troubles us is how long-suffering he is with the wicked. I mean, think about that. We get angry at that. Like, oh my goodness, come on. Read the story of Jonah. That was Jonah's problem. You have been kind to these people too long. They're wicked and evil and barbaric and brutal. Let's kill them, God. I'll get excited about partnering up with that. But he said, I knew you, God. You're slow to anger. You're abounding in love. You hate to send judgment. And the people repented. And God stayed his judgment on them. So we get more frustrated once we know God about how slow he is to judge the wicked. But what's Jesus saying here? He said, when you're good and when you're kind, 
you're like your Father in heaven. You're being like God. Goodness and kindness is a very God feature. Now, sometimes we think of the power things in God, like healing the sick or raising the dead or casting out demons, and, and that's all part of the biblical narrative and story. But we think goodness and kindness, yeah, it's a powerful move from God and of God that when we do that, we're being like God. So I want you to open up your spiritual minds here and your spiritual eyes. Now, that's just not a preacher term. That's a biblical concept. Paul says to the people in Ephesus, he says, I want you to open up the eyes. I'm praying the eyes of your understanding, not the eyeballs of your head, but the eyes of your understanding. Other translations say the eyes of your heart might be enlightened, that you might see, and then he lists several things he wants them to see. Another point, Paul says this, I'm speaking to your wisdom. I'm just not speaking the wisdom of this world. I'm speaking a wisdom of the Spirit. So obviously there's a whole deeper level that we can learn and grow at. He said, actually, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not a believer, he said, the things of God will seem like foolishness to you. You won't understand them because, listen, they are spiritually discerned. So we want to open up our hearts, open up our minds to this deeper truth of the Word of God and see what he's trying to teach us here. And when we are good and when we are kind, it's powerful. We know this, that even generic goodness and kindness is beautiful and pleasant. But there's something deeper for the believer where it just amps it up to a whole new level. And that our goodness and kindness as Christians, as Christ followers, our goodness and kindness actually has transformational power in it. it when you are a follower of Jesus, and you live in this kingdom, the kingdom of Christ. Remember, Colossians says we've been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son he loves. We've been translated into the kingdom of Jesus. We've been empowered by God. And you say, well, I don't see it. You're not made to live by sight. You're made to live by faith. What's God say? Let's believe what God says. And so we're going to look at this supernatural goodness and kindness that Christians have, that we have. Now, do people who don't know the Lord, can they be kind and good? Absolutely. Absolutely. Maybe one of the nicest people you know is not a follower of Jesus Christ. They can be good and kind, but they cannot have the power, the transformational power of the Holy Spirit in their goodness and kindness. Let's see what Jesus says and Peter says, supernatural goodness and kindness. Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, the early verses say this, when you light a candle or a lamp, you put it in a very strategic place. You don't hide it under a bushel. You don't hide it under a bowl. You don't put it in the closet. You find out a strategic place to put this light or put this candle so it will shed light to everyone so everything can be seen. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds. And what happens? Glorify your Father in heaven. Now, some people say, well, I thought the Bible told us that we shouldn't, we shouldn't do our good deeds to be seen among men. Well, it does, but we need the whole counsel of God. It says, don't do good things just to be seen of men so that they can praise you. That's fruitless. But we are supposed to do good deeds that people can see that gives glory to God. You know, the Bible says that we should not pray publicly to be seen of people. I met a person one time who had been a believer for many years, 
and asked him to pray. And he was talking to me. He said, I just don't believe in praying publicly out loud. And I said, why? He said, because the scriptures say that not pray publicly to be seen to men. I said, yeah, but if you, you know the Bible, it's all kinds of people doing public prayer. If our prayers are only so people go, oh, my goodness, he or she is such a beautiful prayer. They're so wonderful. They must be so spiritual. And if you did it for that response, that's wrong. But to pray publicly, to bless people and to glorify God is a wonderful thing. So here Peter says, 1 Peter 2, 12, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, I just want you to know this, you can, you can do nothing wrong. And if the spirit in the lost person is warring against the Holy Spirit in you, they will find something negative to say about you. You can be as kind and nice as can be, and they'll say, well, they're, just, they're one of those Bible thumper, holier than thou. They think they're all this and that. And you think, I mean, nothing but kind and good. But that's okay, because guess what? They persecuted Jesus. So, that's fine. And by the way, most of the time, that's the worst persecution we get. Not many of us here in the United States of America get drug off or beaten or stoned to death or anything like that. So, just receive it. So, sometimes they'll accuse you of doing wrong. But though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and what? Glorify God on the day he visits us. There's something about being good and kind as a believer that's powerful, that has some oomph behind it, some, some transformational power to it. And I believe that. It has soul-winning power. Now, it's not, a, it's not a substitution for sharing your faith, but it can be the part of the one-two punch. Uh, they see goodness and kindness from believers, and then they hear a gospel message. It's the one-two punch. But your goodness and kindness is impactful. It draws people to Jesus. It has a restoring power to it. It has a rescuing power. It has a redeeming power to it. That when you and I are good, when we are kind, there's something more behind it than just the generic goodness and kindness of the world. So I want to say, never underestimate. Never underestimate the power of goodness and kindness and what all can do to transform a person's life. There's a guy named David Dickerson. David Dickerson wrote this. He uh, was raised in a conservative Christian home. His father and mother loved the Lord. He says his father had a, a very simple faith. He wasn't a simpleton. He just had a simple faith. He believed in God, loved God, wanted to do things for God, wanted to you know, advance the kingdom. He just had a very simple faith. It wasn't complicated at all. So David goes off to college. And what happens to a lot of college kids when they go off is that their professors and peers, it was not a Christian college, began to chip away at their belief system. One of the problems, I think, and I don't know how to solve it, but I've thought about this forever, is I think we as a church, not just Crossroads, the church at general, are really good at raising good little church kids. But when good little church kids go off to college, they get eaten alive. We need fully devoted followers of Jesus. And so you go off and you know who you are. Your identity's in Christ and it makes a difference. But his faith got chipped away with and mocked at where he began to mock it too. And for his years in college, he kind of boycotted home. I'm sure he came home for Christmas and Thanksgiving, but he really, you know, got estranged from his family and drawn apart from his family. And then he got out of school and started work, and he hadn't been around a whole lot. And he had this built, this just kept building this resentment, this animosity towards God and religion and Christianity and his dad and his family and all this. But one day he's in town, his dad and him are having a meal at a familiar diner, and Man, David's come loaded with all this ammunition, not literally, you know. And he's got these guns and ammo and all his sleeves are full of it and some grenades handy and all that. Again, not literally, but figuratively. 
And so they're having a lunch together, and David's dad says, you know what? I said, I've been thinking about going on this little mission trip. I don't know, but man, that set David off. He begins to go on a tirade, begins blasting Christianity, blasting his upbringing, blasting God, blasting mission trips and how fruitless they are and stupid they are and the whole gospel message. And he just like unloads on him. His dad just sits there and just starts absorbing all this. And, and finally, when the dust clears and, and the shells are scattered all over the place, David's dad looks at him and says, David, I'm really proud of everything you have accomplished. He said, oh my goodness, David said, when he said that, he said, I wanted, I wanted to get in a fight. I wanted to get in an argument. Now, I didn't think I'd win it, but I thought we'd at least have to draw a truce. And my dad would say, okay, you got some good points, but that's not what I believe. And we can just agree to disagree and we can have all this going on. We'll just call a truce. But he said he didn't. He said he just absorbed all that ranting and that tirade and just absorbed it and brought back nothing negative at all. When I read that, I thought, Jesus, that's Jesus. He just absorbs it all and gives back his righteousness. And so David said, the moment he said that something hit me and I knew it was not a truce, I had lost the argument completely. And here's what he said. This stuck with me for this message. He said, how can you argue with goodness? And I thought, it's true. How can you argue with goodness? And it totally actually was a transformative moment in his life. And he came full back to his faith and and who knows, one day he may have to sit in a diner and hear that from his kid and do something to transform him and show the goodness and kindness of God. You can't argue with goodness. You can't argue with kindness. Here's a, a passage that reflects that in Romans 2. First of all, the setup. In Romans 1, Paul's writing by the Holy Spirit saying all the different ways that people decided to reject God, turn from God, not remember God, not, not be grateful, not, not go after God. He lists all these things. And then he starts out in chapter 2 by saying, you know, you guys live like this and you want to judge everybody. He said, at any point you judge, you, you've broken everything you're judging. And then he says, or do you show contempt? That means disrespect or hatred. For the riches of his, this is God's, the riches of God's kindness, forbearance, that's restraint. We keep saying, no, we don't, but the world's saying God's mad, he's angry, I hate the fact he always wants to get people. No, he's, he shows tremendous restraint. If he really didn't have restraint, I mean, he'd, all of us would be dead right now. You know, we just would be. But he shows forbearance, or restraint, and patience. And then he's challenging these folks. Do you not realize that God's kindness is intended, has a purpose, his kindness is intended to lead you to what? Repentance. Now, repentance, as I often say, is not some preacher up here screaming, repent, why, you know, his veins are popping out of his neck and he's yelling, repent. Repentance in its purest sense. Here's the literal definition of repentance. To think differently after. To have a change of mind. So what happens is information comes, you look at that information, you go, wow, I never knew that, or I didn't understand that, and now I think differently. With different thoughts comes different behaviors. And so God's been kind to us so that we can say, hold it, wow, God's been so kind to me, I see that. Even when I've rejected him, hated him, made fun of him, mocked him, he's been kind to me. I'm going to change the way I think about God, and I'm going to change the way I treat God. 
Now, oftentimes when you witness to people, because people think this, okay, Christianity's just a crutch. So I get it why you need Jesus. Your life's awful. <laughs> You've had so many problems and so many mistakes and all this. Yeah, sure, you need Jesus. I don't need Jesus. You know why they say that? My life's good. I eat good. I dress good. I drive good. I live in a house that's good. I vacation good. My life's good. I don't need Jesus. Man, that's the reason you really, really need Jesus. Because he's shown you so much kindness, and you are willing to publicly reject him. He showed you so much kindness. It's not you don't need him. You do need him. He's been kind to you and good to you. You should have a change of mind and a change of heart. But we can't skip verse 5. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, in other words, you won't change your mind, I always assume that there may be somebody every time we gather. I, I do know that most of us here you know, love Jesus and are following Jesus and growing in that walk with Jesus. I'm sure I know none of us are perfect in that, but we're growing in that. But there might be somebody here who doesn't know Jesus. I want to say, quit being stubborn. Quit being stubborn. Quit being stubborn. Sometimes kids need to hear things three times, so I say quit being stubborn. Now, you, be, you may be a 90-year-old kid here today, but quit being stubborn. Quit being stubborn. Because of your stubbornness and your unrepented heart, you won't change the way you think about God. You won't change the way you see God. You won't change the direction of your life. Now, this verse is very telling if we pause to think it through. You are storing up wrath. Now, who's storing up wrath? Is God storing up wrath? You are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. There is no good judge who lets crime and sin go unpunished forever. There isn't. I want to bring this into a natural setting so you can understand what, what the Holy Spirit's trying to communicate to us. Let's say you are a earthly judge. You sit on a court in one of the local cities and, and somebody comes before you and they've been doing criminal activity. And so you as a judge hear everything. You say, you know what? This is your first time you made any mistakes. We're going to go easy on you. Get a little smack on the hand and you're let go. Now, what did the judge just do? Just show goodness and kindness to that person. They had done things that they could have gotten big trouble for, but he chose to show goodness and kindness. Why does he do that? Hoping that the person will say, oh my goodness, I dodged a bullet there. I'm going to change the way I'm living. But the guy shows up in the court or gal six, nine months later, then doing more criminal activity. The judge looks it over, says, hey, you're going to do some crazy community service and you're going to be on probation. Okay. Could have sent him off to jail or prison, but he chooses not to. What's happening? Judge is showing goodness and kindness. The guy or gal goes back out six, nine months later, back in the court again, been doing more criminal stuff. The judge says, okay, this time, I'm going to double your community service. I'm going to put you on house arrest. You're going to have a little bracelet on your ankle, and you're not going anywhere for a year. Now, I can tell you this. That's better than prison. Well, actually, I don't know that from experience, but I'm assuming that you're your home would be better than being in prison. Guess what? A year later, person's back in front of the judge again, and 
the judge finally sends him off to jail and then to prison for five years. Now, I want to think this through. Is the judge a mean, awful, horrible person? Did he store up wrath for this kid, this young person or older person? It doesn't matter. Was he just saying, I can't wait for him to slip up again? No, he's an earthly judge and still says, I'm trying to get this person to walk the straight and narrow, but they won't do it. They have stored up for themselves wrath for the day of God's wrath. When God's righteous judgment will be revealed, and it is righteous and it's right and it's good. And so is the earthly judge who finally, on the fourth trip, ends up sending him to jail or prison for a few years. So, when we are good and when we are kind, we are reflecting the nature of God. I don't want to underestimate that. I don't want you to underestimate that. Because I know you because I'm like you. I'm a person too. And so we're doing something good and kind, and we think, wow, nobody even noticed that. You don't know that. I did something good and kind. I didn't feel the Holy Spirit when I did it. Doesn't matter. You're still doing what the Word says. Well, I, I've been good and kind to my job for three years, and I haven't found anybody come to know Jesus. Doesn't matter. See, your you're my job isn't the results. Your my job is to do what we're told to do. We're told to be good and kind. And by the way, it's a wonderful thing to be good and kind. Everybody wins when people are good and kind. And so you don't worry about those results because I'm convinced that it, it won't be until we're in heaven and all the dust settles that we realize how much our lives impacted other people because we don't see it. I think about people who impacted my life who have gone on to be with the Lord, and I thought, shame on me. I don't even think I ever told them what a difference they made. I'll get to tell them one day, but I never did. They might have went on to say, my, I didn't. My life didn't make any difference, but it does. So we want to be good and kind because it's a pathway for people to possibly repent. It's part of the process where people see goodness and kindness in our lives, and then they hear the gospel message, they put it all together, and they respond to it in a life-changing way. So here's our assignment, and there's three action items in this verse, or in these verses. Jesus getting in trouble again. He's getting in trouble in Matthew 12 because he's about to heal somebody on the Sabbath. They're trying to trap him, get him. Is it, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? And he says, of course it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. He said, if you had a sheep that fell in the ditch, would you not go pull it out, which actually violates the Jewish law of working on the Sabbath. But you would do that. And the Jewish law also permits goodness and kindness on the Sabbath if you need to do it and work is involved. So, Jesus says, okay, he heals a man's withered hand. And now this is how crazy self-righteousness is and religion. Now religion gets beat up as a bad word. It's actually used positively a couple times in the Bible. But when we talk about religion, sometimes people just have these, these religious duties, like we brush our teeth religiously or we do this to make our coffee religiously. We got these habits and patterns. And sometimes all we have are habits and patterns and we don't have a life-changing relationship with Jesus. And the scriptures talk about that. Timothy talks about having a form of godliness, but not having salvation in Jesus. So these people decide, they're trying to trap Jesus. He heals somebody. They're so infuriated that he broke a Jewish law of working on the Sabbath, which he actually didn't, but he, they believed he did. Now get this, that is awful. So what, what do they do? They immediately leave and plot a way to kill him. Think about that. I'm so infuriated that this guy healed somebody on the Sabbath. Let's murder the guy. 
Yeah, that sounds like a real spiritual deep walk with God. And so finally, he's getting after him here in verses 33, 4, and 5. It says, make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and the fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, for those who always think Jesus just floated and never said anything strong. You, you bunch of snakes. How can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man, out of the good things stored up in him, the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. So we see three things listed that we can put into action this week. I really want to challenge you. Put this in action. I'm talking to me too. I mean, it's easy for me to talk about this and just go about my way and not do it. We need to practice these things. So the first thing is you must be born again. Now you may say, where in the world did you get that out of those verses? Because it says, make a tree good. You cannot make a tree good unless it's born again. You and I, we don't, we don't make ourselves good. God makes us good with the good Holy Spirit and the good Jesus that comes to live in us. And we become like him. Guess what? Jesus went about doing, does anybody know? Good. Jesus went about doing good, healing all who were sick and oppressed of the devil. He went about doing good. We're supposed to be like Jesus and go about doing good. We can't do it on our own. We must be born again. And then that makes our tree good. Second thing, say good things. Let your good heart, you now have a good heart. Let your good heart speak good things. Be kind. Be nice. Say thank you. You're welcome. Tell somebody they did a great job if they did. I'm, I'm serious about that. If they did a horrible job, don't lie to them. But you might find something, you know, good to say. Say good things, say kind things, say encouraging things, say edifying things, think, say things that build people up. You know, the scripture says this in Ephesians. It says, do not let any unwholesome communication come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful, catch that, only what is helpful for building others up that it may minister to their needs. How many times do we talk just to minister to our needs or to build ourselves up? We're supposed to let good things come out of our mouth. So say good things. It's amazing that that one line, I know that that may not work every time, but that one line of David's father, David, I'm so proud of everything you've accomplished. After that barrage of, of bile that came upon him, he said something kind. I believe the reason he could say something kind was number three. It says store up good things in you. How do you store up good things in you? By doing what you're doing today, coming to the house of God worshiping him store that up think about the goodness of god store that up get the word of god store it up practice the word of god store it up every time you do stuff like that you store it up and what happens is we're storing up too much stuff in our lives that aren't good i mean we can love jesus and still not be putting the word in us not be people of prayer not be being good not being kind not being this you say well i don't think so i don't think christians can behave like that okay read your bible that's my solution to that in the Bible, there's all kinds of things. Think about this written to Christians. Get rid of all anger, rage, bitterness, malice, along with every form of selfishness and greed. Do not let there even be a hint of sexual immorality among you or, or of impropriety or of, of idolatry. Who is he talking to? He's talking to Christians. So we fill ourselves up with all that, and then we're kind of like a, an old tube of toothpaste 
whatever's in there, you give it a squeeze and whatever's in it comes out. But you fill yourselves up with the word and with prayer and with thinking about the Lord. And man, that makes a difference. So when you get squeezed, what comes out? David's dad got squeezed. And what came out was something good. You say, well, I'm not there yet. That's fine. We're all growing. But don't excuse that you can't be there. We can keep growing in the Lord. Fourth thing, do good and kind things. We've already discussed that. Your good deeds will be seen, but your good deeds are seen not to glorify you, but to glorify God in heaven. So I really want to challenge us. Let's put these things into practice this week. Let's actually do these things. I encourage you, bring a notepad, bring paper, bring a smart device, take a picture, jot it down, do something. Because I know this. If you don't do this, if you don't do something to remember what these things are, you won't remember them. You won't remember them. I heard a minister one time, he said he had this deep thought, this very spiritual thought, and he was busy and running around. And then later in the day, he went to write that down. He couldn't remember what it was. He said, Lord, help me remember what it was. He felt like the Lord spoke to his heart and said, you know, when I showed you that, wouldn't it have been important enough to write it down right then? So you may have, sh- I believe the Holy Spirit shows things, people, people, things while you were, you go, oh, here's a good idea. Here's something I need to do, or here's this, or I need to study that, or I need to memorize that scripture, whatever. But I'll tell you what, after lunch, you're only going to be doing one thing, taking a nap. And you're going to go, oh, I can't remember what it was God said. Well, write it down, take a picture, do something so you can put this stuff in practice this week. Let's pray together. Mm.